why did Jesus weep? This whole series is going to be about exposed, being exposed. And what does that mean? It means to expose truths that are quickly and or easily hidden or disguised. You know, this whole thing going around the world today that we're all dealing with is media. I mean, every time you turn around, you hear somebody say, well, that's the media. The media has formed this uh, dialogue. The media has formed this perspective, whatever. And it's true. The media does uh, form a lot of this and, and what have you. Well, in the same way, there are a lot of things that are quickly or easily said or overlooked because it's said so many times a certain way, we begin to believe it that certain way. Does that make sense? There are so many truths that, and we're, we're going to talk about one of those today, that are just said so many times a particular way that suddenly that becomes the truth. But behind that truth is the true intention. Behind that, there's a root that maybe some of what has been believed is a part of that root, but it isn't the whole tree. It isn't the whole thing. We're going to talk about that in this series, Exposed, and I can tell you really, uh, I'm, I'm excited about it. This week is Jesus Wept. We're going to be talking about that in a moment, and then next week it will be Water to Wine, and then the uh, final uh, part of this series will be Bacon to Beef. That will make a whole lot of sense then, but bacon to be will make a whole lot of sense when we're talking about it on that day. Um, but today, I'm jumping right in to this thought, Jesus wept. Why did Jesus really weep when Lazarus died? So in order to form the give you a framework of this, I want to start with John chapter 11, verse 1. I'm going to read a lot here, so just follow along with me if you would, and then we're going to return to some key points within this scripture to identify what's really happening here. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, in the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with an ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Everybody say, they said, Lord, he whom you love is ill. All right, that's, a, that's, that's important for you to know this. But when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness does not lead to death. Everybody say, the illness does not lead to death. It is for, you don't have to say this, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place he was, which is exactly the opposite of what sick people expect pastors to do. When someone is sick and they call the pastor, they don't want him to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick back here for a couple more days. I hope you do well. <laughs> I'll read it. Let me, let's read it. So Jesus loved them, and he, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, now let us go to Judea again. And this, the disciples said to him, Rabbi... The Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. 
But if anyone walks in the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. After saying these things, Jesus said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I want to go and wake him up. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, then he will recover. And, Jesus had, and now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, in case you didn't get it the first time, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there when Lazarus died, so that you may believe. But let us now, after a couple of days, go to him. So Thomas, called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, so that we may die with him. That would not be the invitation that I make me want to go. I'll tell you what, Thomas, you go, and we'll come later. <laughs> Maybe. Thomas said, let us also go that we may die with him. And then we'll get to that in a moment. To verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met Christ. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, he will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, but I am the resurrection and I am the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will indeed never die. Do you believe this? I think if I were her and he had said it like that, I would say, can I consider what all you just said just now? Because there's a lot of words in that. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and she called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and she went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord... If you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Everybody say, greatly troubled. Greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then he wept. Jesus Wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? I want to point out a few key moments in this passage that I believe will reveal a truth that is so often lost, expose a truth that is so often lost in our reading and interpretation of not only this passage, 
but so many other passages of truth and opportunity we find both in the First and Second Testament in all of Scripture. And I want to point these out today because I believe it is important for you and me to understand that the way that God does things is always going to be beyond our natural interpretation. It's always going to require that we see it first naturally, but our interpretation comes by the Spirit. There is something deeper in what I see with my eyes. This morning, we were talking before we came out when we always pray before we come out here and discuss and talk about what Holy Spirit's speaking about the day. And in coming out here, there were many things that were said, and of those things, I spoke to something, and I said to it, I said, mankind sees, we see by life with these eyes, natural eyes, when we look at something, for instance, right now, as I look at you, I see three-dimensional. I see depth, I see distance, I see width, I, see, I, can, I can assess all of this. I see with my eyes three-dimensionally. How we live our lives most of the time is two-dimensionally. We live our lives as though it is either this way or it is that way. There's never a third way. It's always this or that. Here is the challenge with the story that I read here where Lazarus comes out of the tomb. When Jesus speaks to Lazarus, and I'm not going to get that far, but when he speaks to him and he says, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus comes forth, that was not an unexpected result in the mind of Christ. That was not an unexpected result in the kingdom of God. That is exactly from the moment Christ entered the earth as a little baby in a manger in this little place called Bethlehem in a stall, that is exactly the way it was intended to happen. From the very beginning, the father already knew what was going to occur in the opportunity and how he was going to use the opportunity to hopefully change the mind and heart and vision or perspective or dimensional sight of those who were gathered that day. But what happened was everyone saw this thing in two dimension. From the mind of Christ, he saw this thing three-dimensionally. People saw it. Let me back up. Mankind saw it. All those that were gathered that day, the disciples, Mary, Martha, all the Jews that were gathered that day saw it this way. When you're breathing, you're living. If you're not breathing, you're dead. Christ saw it this way. If you're breathing, you're alive. If you're not breathing, you might be dead. But there's a third option. If you're not breathing, there's still opportunity for you to breathe again. That's the third dimension that mankind doesn't see. We look at everything, this is black and white, this is the way it's going to be, it's either this or that, and the Father doesn't, there is no circumstance in your life right now, currently going on, that is either this or that. I'm going to expose some truths today, okay? There's nothing going on. You might say, well, if this doesn't happen, then only that. I'm telling you today, that's the mind of man, but that is not the mind of Christ. I'm expose truth today. In the mind of man, that's two dimension. I can do this or I can do that. And the father says, yes, you can do that. You can do this. What about this one? Let's go back to verse, uh, verse 3 and verse, let's go back to verse 4. It says, when Jesus heard that Lazarus had died, he said, this illness does not. Everybody say, does not. Does not. Jesus said, when he heard that Lazarus was sick and was ill, Jesus said, this illness from the very get-go does not lead to 
death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. There was opportunity. They had come to him, the disciples, Mary and Martha, and they were telling him this is a difficult, very challenging, very disrupting very sad moment. Our brother is ill, the one that you love. And in the mind of Christ, he says, listen, he's not going to die. But you don't understand. We're watching him breathe his last breath. And in our world, when you breathe the last one, it's over. And Jesus said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. He's trying to teach them something. Something's about to, are you listening to me? Not you. That's what he's saying to them. You too. Are you listening? But he's saying, are you all hearing me? He's not going to die. And then we skip down and we go to verse 14. And Jesus told them plainly. He said, okay, Lazarus has died. Hmm. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. Because I want you to believe. Now let us go to him. Jesus says to them, Lazarus has died, and he had just earlier said, this illness does not lead to death. The problem was in two dimension, when Lazarus breathed his last breath, Mary and Martha and all those that were gathered thought, this is the end. There's nothing left to come. I believe that Lazarus was the stage that was set so that they could try to somehow get an interpretation of what it was going to look like when Christ died and rose again. This was the precursor to find out where their faith was. If I tell you that this temple is going to be destroyed in three days, can you believe that it will be raised back up again? Jesus told them plainly, he said, "Mm, yes, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. And why did he say that? I'm glad I wasn't there because had I been there, he wouldn't, he would have never died. I wouldn't have let it happen. But I stayed away two days because it was important that he die so that you could find out how you interpret death and how I interpret death are not the same thing. Lazarus has died and for your sake I'm glad I wasn't there so that you might believe but let us now go to him. Thomas called the twins, said to his disciples, let us go that we may die with him. In other words, what Thomas was saying, he didn't want to die. He was just saying the grieving is so deep. You don't find anywhere in this passage where it says, but Lazarus, I mean, but Thomas' faith was increased. Thomas heard the words that Jesus said in verse 4. Thomas remembered what Jesus said two days ago. You hear nowhere in the voice of Martha or in the voice of Mary or in any of the disciples, including Thomas, you hear none of them saying, but Jesus said he will not surely die. This sickness will not lead to death. All they did, all they could see was that suddenly he's no longer breathing. And Lazarus, I mean, and Thomas in his pain says, let's go with him and let's just die together because we love him so much. The point Christ was trying to make was you don't have to die with him. Wouldn't it be better to live with him? Let's keep going. Point some things out. Verse 21, Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Here we go again. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, he will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. But Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. By this point, Christ is so frustrated. He's so aggravated. Where's your faith? I'm telling you, your brother will rise again. And then Martha Martha comes back with this religious 
idea. I know he will. In the resurrection, in the last day, he will rise again. And Christ said, you're not getting it. Do you understand? I'm not Christ in the last day. I'm Christ in every day. I'm not Christ in your last moment. I'm Christ in every moment. I'm not the deliverer when you need delivering. I'm the deliverer when you don't. I'm not the healer when you're sick. I'm the healer also when you're well. It is in me. When I came into the earth, everything that you need is already in me. And if you can get this, if you can understand it, Lazarus is not dead. He is as I said he was. He is asleep. He has not yet died. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, he will give you. She didn't know that. She didn't know that. I know now that whatever you ask of God, he will give you. Because, And then she adds an addendum to that. I know that in the last day, he will live again. Well, that's not what you just said. You said, whatever I ask of the Father, he will give me. So you just, you just supplanted with your statement that I can't do a miracle right now. Wow. Step aside, Martha. <laughs> and then we're going to jump down to verse... 32, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet. Keep in mind, he's standing at the outside of the tomb where Lazarus is currently wrapped up and buried. She fell at his feet and she said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Here we go again. Here's Christ on the outside of this tomb standing out there and he's looking and he's saying, here we go again. I listened to my disciples tell me I needed to get there expediently. I listened to Mary and Martha tell me had I been there, my brother would not have died. But for some reason, none of them are listening to me. I'm listening to them give all their reasons why he cannot live again. But none of them have listened to a, the single reason that I am. And that is so he could live again. Said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, listen to this. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. A lot of crying going on. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And most of the church believes what the Jews were saying. Let me read this again. He was deeply moved when he saw all of them crying in his spirit. And he was greatly troubled. Very frustrated. Not troubled because of the loss. We're about to find out the real reason Jesus wept. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he not also raise this man up if he opened the eyes of the blind? Jesus did not weep because Lazarus was dead. He did not weep because he had great love for Lazarus. He wept because there was lack of faith. In a people to hear his promise to them. The truth that he had delivered in the very beginning. He is ill, but he will not die. The exposed truth is. Jesus' tears were not tears because he lost a best friend. Because he knew that that man was about to come out of that tomb. The tears he cried were tears because the people wrapped around him. Who should believe and who should have faith. The church. Those who should be rising up are so caught up in. I know that scripture says at the last day. 
You will do this. Get past that. There's a deeper truth in that scripture. You're believing that I'm the Christ in the last day. You're not believing that I'm the Christ in this day. I'm talking to you today. I'm talking to people online. I'm talking to people in this room. He's not just the Christ in the last day. He's Christ right now to you. Whatever your situation, whatever you're going through, he doesn't want to raise you from the dead because you're dead and there's no hope. He wants to raise you from the dead because he wants to glorify his father. And he's not crying tears today. I don't want to make him cry for me. I don't want him crying because I'm a man of lack of faith. I, want him, I, don't, I don't want him to cry at all. I, I want him to say, Steve, they're not dead. he's not dead at all. And I want to say, I come into agreement with that. Yeah. Let's go get him out of that tomb. Who put him there? I want to get mad that somebody put him there. I want to get mad that somebody gave up. I want to get mad that somebody didn't believe. I want to get mad. I want to get frustrated like you, Christ. And, and if I'm going to cry, I'm going to cry for lack of faith, not because someone's gone. So why did he really weep? Because of the lack of faith in those who should have an abundance of it. Does he weep for us or because of us? When I think of Jesus crying, Jesus weeping, and the reason that he wept, again, the Jews put together this little idea. He's weeping because he loved him so much because that's what the media wanted them to believe. That's the popular opinion. Look at this man cry. Look at the love he has. He loved Lazarus. There's no doubt about it. But the story had already been written. He knew exactly how it was going to end. The question I ask you today, if Jesus is weeping, would he be weeping for us or would he be weeping because of us? If he's weeping because of us, he's weeping because we're not saying to him, Father, I'm doing with my life, I'm believing with my life, I'm believing with my actions what I'm speaking with my mouth. I'd rather him weep for me than because of me. I'd rather him weep because he wants to say, if there's no other way, then let this be. Not because you lack faith. Turn with me, if you would, please, to Psalm chapter 1. Today in, this, in society, in the world that we live in, when truths begin to be exposed, here's the truth I'm about to expose. Again, the same reason that Jesus is weeping today is because among us, all around us, hopefully not within us, but all around us, there are these moments and these times our, this generation that's coming up has this mentality that things are not as incredible. The opportunities aren't as incredible as they can be. There's this generation coming up. We're all a part of it where we are seeing, as I said a moment ago, so two-dimensional. We cannot lay hold of that third dimension where Christ does his greatest work. And Psalm 1, this week I was driving, I was going somewhere, I don't remember where I was going, it doesn't matter. But I was somewhere and I heard uh, this, someone uh, reference this particular scripture. It's one that I used to just think about frequently. And then I hadn't thought about it in a long time. And as I heard this verse uh, referenced, it just came alive in my heart again. It came alive in me again. And I want to read this to you. It says Psalm 1, uh, verses 1 and 2 reads like this. It says, blessed is the man. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor does he stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law. What is the law? The indisputable truths of God. 
His delight is in the indisputable truths of the Lord, and on these truths he meditates day and night. You hear me right now? I'm going to show you something. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the indisputable truths of the Lord, and on these truths he meditates day and night. I want to focus on one part of this scripture. He does not. Blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of scoffers. I know that it could be an easy argument to have. And there would probably be many that would say that in John chapter 11, in the reference of that story, none of them were scoffers. None of them were disregarding. But I would argue that there were. I would argue that among them, a scoffer is someone who, who makes something of great significance small. They belittle. They, they, they uh, what's, uh, I'm trying to think of the word I'm looking for, but there is a sense of, to scoff means to say, mm, you know, just kind of disqualify or disregard. To walk away as though there's no power really in it. And I would say that in John 11, that these that were gathered, Mary and Martha, the disciples included, all the Jews that were gathered and wrapped around that loved Lazarus, had become scoffers. He said, blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of the scoffer, does not find them in the place where they are making little of something big, where they are making light of something incredible. How does this happen? All of us are very aware in this generation, this time, this season that we live in today all around us, whether it's on our job, no matter where we are, whether you're in the church, you're out of the church, you're at working at Walmart, it doesn't matter where you're at. We're very aware that there's this consciousness in people today and awareness in people today or lack of where there you begin to talk about the things of God and there's almost this sense of, okay, let's not talk about that. Let's not go there. You're hearing me this morning. Let's not get into that. Don't be preaching. Or when something miraculous happens and we want to give glory to God and someone says, oh, come on, man, that's just, they took the right amount of Tylenol. <laughs> Hear me. He said, blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of the scoffer, who does not allow himself to get into that place where he looks mildly upon something that is so magnificent. Where he disqualifies the very thing that is, in fact, the actual qualifier. Blessed is the man who does not push aside those things that give opportunity for something greater than he or she. Blessed is the man who believes beyond what would be two-dimensional and is looking past that. I said this morning, uh, we were talking about sight and Someone shared a testimony of what was going on with their sight. And I shared this morning that if you covered one eye, you immediately lose your, your dimension. You lose your ability to know how far things are away from you. you it's, it's, it's not, don't even drive like that. But you, you lose that. Now, if you did it right now and you covered one eye, it would be okay because you've been looking through two all day. So you have a sense. But if you go to bed tonight, put a patch on one eye and wake up in the morning with that patch on one eye, suddenly things are going to be different. You might not take the right amount of steps to get to the bathroom. It's true, because you lose dimension. There's going to be some need for you to kind of feel your way until you get used to living a life without dimension. 
Now, if you're like me, when I get up, I get up so many times. You don't need to know. This is, this is not, you do not need to know, but I'm a, you're going to know anyway. But I get up so many times in the night to go to the restroom, I, we don't even turn the lights on. I just know how many steps. One, two, three, turn right. Four, five. <laughs> but he says, blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of the scoffer, but who takes seriously the things that God has put before them. Why did Jesus weep? Jesus wept because around him, all around him, there was nobody listening to what he had to say. There was nobody laying hold of that indisputable truth. Lazarus is not going to die. It is not a sickness unto death. There was nobody laying hold of that because everybody had one, a patch over one eye. They were not looking at the possibilities that were before them. They were looking at only what they saw. They were not joining heaven and earth together. They were simply saying, this is what's in front of me and this is the way it is. There's this message in this for every single person in this room today. The Father has poured out and sown into you promises. He's sown into you purpose. He's sown into you a word. He's sown into you a vision. He's given you something to lay, lay hold of and to cling to. My question is this. Is there any place in you that has become one who sits in the seat of the scoffer and who says, it's even too big for you? As Mary and Martha, as the disciples, you know what? If you had been here when he was ill, we believe he would be okay. But because you waited, now you're here and he's already died. It's too big for you now, Christ. And then tears begin to flow down his eyes or his cheeks. Why? Not because, not because Lazarus had died, but because suddenly somehow you believe that this thing is bigger than me. Somehow you have come to the place where you believe that I'm not big enough, that I'm incapable of acting on the first word that you ever heard. That I'm the redeemer, that I'm the sanctifier, that I'm the deliverer, that I'm the healer, that I'm the resurrector, that I'm the resurrection. Somehow, you got to the place where no longer am I big enough for this moment. I'm telling you today, I'm speaking, if in any of us, we find ourselves seating in the, sitting in the seat of the scoffer, we've taken up this position. I've waited so long for this, there's no way it's going to happen. He sat in that stinking city for two days. He could have been here when Lazarus was vomiting. Instead, he got here when Lazarus is stinking. If he'd have gotten here when he was throwing up, he could have fixed him. But he waited so long, he got here when he stinketh. And we've already wrapped him up. We buried him. We put a stone in front of the tomb. Already it's too late. Are there any of us sitting in that place where the Father gave us a promise? He said, listen, it might be looking bad right now, but it's not bad unto destruction. It's not bad unto invalidity. It's not bad unto impossible. We find ourselves sitting there and thinking, Father, this is, I've been holding on to this thing. I've, I've held on to it for so long. I was standing up holding on to it. And I've held on to this thing for so long. Now I'm just going to sit on down and I'm going to sit here and say, you don't even care anymore. It doesn't even matter to you anymore. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You don't see where I'm at. Had you known my heart, had you known where I was, had you known how bad it was, you would have left that town two days ago and you would have gotten here on time. And the whole time, Christ be then Christ begins to weep. He says, you forgot. You have forgotten who I am. And you mistake my tears for sadness because it has not come to pass. 
But I'm asking you today to interpret my tears as sadness because you stopped believing. Blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of the scoffer. Blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of the scoffer. Blessed is the man who when he recognizes I've been making little of great. I've been making small of big. I've let myself become hopeless where hope is. Blessed is the man who gets out of that seat. Says, Father, I repent and I lay hold again of that promise. He is ill, but he will not die. It has not come yet, but it is on its way. I don't see the fulfillment of it, but I know it is being fulfilled. Your promises every day rising up, lying down are yes and amen and yes and amen and yes and amen. We cannot possibly, possibly engage the fullness of God with a patch over one eye. We cannot possibly have hope for the dream coming out of the grave when all we can see is a stone in front of it. I'm telling you what the Father's doing, what He wants to do for you and me today. We talk about hope. We talk about dreams. We talk about dreaming. And I'm telling you today what He wants to do is wake us up. He wants us to get out. You say, I am not a scoffer. I'm not going to argue that with you. But I'm going to ask you to be honest with yourself. How many times and how often do you make little of what He means to be great? Do you hear me today? And there's a really cool part I love about that scripture in Psalm 1. Let's go to the, let's read the rest of it. And his delight, blessed is a man that does not sit in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the indisputable truths of the Lord. And on this law or on these truths, he meditates day and night. On these truths, he meditates his delight. Blessed is the man that gets up out of that seat. I believe, I believe, I believe. You're right. Lazarus will not die. And for those who come to me and say, what are you talking about? He's already dead. He's not breathing. No. You see Lazarus, Lazarus, Lazarus through one eye. But I got both my eyes open. I got the natural and the spirit working at the same time. Blessed is the man who rises up out of the seat of self-scoffing, self-destruction. Rises up and makes his delight in the indisputable truths of God. You said in the very beginning, this illness will not lead to death. I lay hold of that promise. And then tomorrow when I get up, you know what I'm going to do? My delight is in the promises, the indisputable truths of God. Tomorrow when I get up, if it's not breathing today, breathing is coming. And I get up the next day, 
If I don't see it today, it's coming. If I don't see it today, it's coming. My delight, Father, is in the indisputable truth that when you send your word, it never comes back unfulfilled. It never comes back empty. Does anybody hear me today? Stand with me if you would, please. I want you today to trust this. Trust that while you and I, while we might not be a completed work, he is at work completing us. Yes. <laughs> while this is not a finished product, he is in every way finishing us. Did Christ love Lazarus? Certainly. Is it possible that any of the tears that flowed were because Lazarus died? It's not even possible. It's not possible. Not a single tear he shed did he shed because there was a stinking man in a tomb that had been there for four days. Not even one tear. He didn't even get emotional that Lazarus was dead. The scripture says he was grieved. And wept, not because Lazarus was dead, because he already knew it was going to happen. I'm going to tell you today. You and me and us, we want to make sure that when the Father speaks to you and me, and there's a dream in your heart and there's a word in you, and the Father, if he says he's going to do it, don't make light of it. And if it doesn't happen on your timeline, don't make light of it. And if it doesn't happen on three of your timelines, don't make light of it. Do you hear me today? Instead, delight yourself in the law of the Lord. Delight yourself in the truth. In other words, get up every day and remind yourself, you know what? This is what it looks like, but this is two-dimensional. But this is what it looks like in three-dimension. In that third dimension, this thing is alive. And he is crafting me, and he is working on me, and he is changing me, and he is preparing me to be able to deal with this living thing. Because right now, if some of us got that thing that's alive in the third dimension, it would eat us up. Because we're not ready for it. We wouldn't know how to deal with it. Suddenly that thing that we think, that's a promise to us. Suddenly that thing came and just ate us up. And the father says, I'm, I'm completing you. I'm completing you today. So if he's going to weep, I want him to weep for me. Weep for me in this, in, this, in this way. I want him to weep because he says, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. And it moves me emotionally. Weep for me, father. Don't weep because of me. Don't weep because you find me in the seat of the scoffer. Don't weep because you find me in that place saying, it's not even possible for you. It's beyond that. No, 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 no. Life. Life to you today. Hope in you today. Let there be hope in you today. Believe again. See. And now listen. When we get into next week, you're going to see a different perspective. And that is sometimes when there's a Lazarus in the tomb, he should be. He's not supposed to come out.
We're going to expose truths. Sometimes when they died in there, leave them there. Are you ready? Father, I lift my voice over the people in this house today. Honey, join me, please. I lift my voice. I join with my wife today, and I lift my voice over the congregation, over these men and these women. I lift my voice over these sons and daughters. And I know that in every mind and every heart today, every single person under the sound of my voice that I'm aware of is very passionate about doing your will, about not, about not leaving one thing undone, but about fulfilling completely everything that you've ever put in our heart. We are a people, all of us, all of us. We are a people who in every way certainly have to engage the natural Adam every single day. But in all of that, in that engaging, Father, may it be said of us that our greatest engagement is that in the second Adam. That we are engaging the Christ in us and the knowing that you put in us. Father, we are laying hold of. The truths that are in us, we lay hold of those truths. And, and we are not seeing with two dimension. We don't, we don't believe that because something's not breathing, it's dead. We're going to believe that whatever you say about this thing, that is the truth. That's right. And we're laying hold of that today. We're not going to get caught up in how we feel. We're not going to get caught up in how it feels. We're not going to get caught up in how it looks. We're going to get caught up in what your indisputable truth about this thing is. Show us the truth about it. For every single person that's in this room, every single person that can hear me today, I know that in each and every one of us today, there are things that they're walking out. Every man, as you craft us, as you create, as you form and fashion us, there are things that different ones, we're all walking out today. Father, my prayer is that in all of us, that you show us how to walk that out so that it is in the third dimension. We don't book in this thing because of what the earth says the outcome will be. But we leave it open if it's open to you. And we close it if it's closed to you. Expose the truth of why you really do and really say the things you do. Weep for us because of your pleasure in us, not because of us. To your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.